just like that, the second hour is here for the Thursday edition of Hot Mike with Utney Withrow across the Outkick Network. Coming up in 20 minutes, Armando Salguero will join us from Outkick.com. Covers all things NFL. Thursday night football tonight, Pittsburgh hosting Tennessee. Ryan Leaf joins us in a little over an hour. Talk college and NFL headlines with him. Chad, fast-paced hour so far. It's been uh, very fast. A lot to get to. Yes, uh, we'll hit some uh, headlines uh, right here, the top headlines of the day, scorched earth uh, across uh, Hot Mike and Outkick. And it starts with the passing of Bobby Knight, uh, dead at the age of 83. News coming down late last night. And it has, uh, you know, it's, I said, I described him as complicated. Um, on the court, amazing. Tactician, X's and O's, uh, one of the very best, if not the best when it came to the X's and O's of the game. And, of course, all the uh, known for great quotes, Chad. If we just think about the, uh, the attitude and uh, the defiance that was Bobby Knight with the media and more. But the outpouring and stories, uh, discussion of legacy, what, 902 wins, six most all time. The fact that he identified Michael Jordan as the best player he'd ever seen play the game. This is before he played in the NBA, which is crazy to think about. Great story with that, by the way. Just a little anecdote. Coach Jordan to the 84 gold medal at the Olympics in Los Angeles. And he, uh, he was buddies with Stu Inman, who was the president or GM of the Portland Trailblazers at the time. They had the second pick. Everyone knew Hakeem Olajuwon was going number one overall, and they were torn on what to do. And Bobby Knight insisted – draft Michael Jordan. You need to draft Michael Jordan. And he said, well, we have Clyde Drexler. We need a center. And Bob Knight's response was, well, then play Jordan at center. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Draft, draft that guy. And, of course, the Trailblazers draft Sam Bowie. And the rest, as they say, is history with Jordan to the Bulls. Love that story with Bobby Knight. Uh, plenty of stories out there. And uh, the best is from our own Dan Dockich, who played and coached uh, for and under Bobby Knight, and had this to say about what made Bob Knight perfect for Indiana basketball. You know, I was lucky enough to get recruited by Bob Knight when Indiana was the best basketball program in the country. I ended up staying there for 16 years. I was also lucky enough to be his two-time captain. I love playing for Coach Knight. I did. I, I thought he was always fair, and I'll argue with anybody, anybody, anytime, anywhere, when I say he's the best basketball coach to ever walk the sideline, he won with guys because he made us all tougher, he made us all smarter, and he made us all better. He didn't have to involve himself with boosters. In later years, he didn't have to involve himself. Like you see all these so-called great coaches involve themselves with shoe companies, involve themselves with money managers, agent. He never involved himself with any of that. He always, always was about the players getting better. Was he tough? Hell yeah, he was tough. Did some people not like the way we went about our business? You're damn right they did, but that's their problem. Our thing in Indiana was very, very simple. This is our thing, period. It's our thing. It's our family. You don't like how Coach Knight conducted business? That's on you. We did, and we bought into it. Whether you were a freshman in your first practice after a win and you're diving for loose balls because you didn't win, by enough or you're a senior losing to Reggie Miller in the NIT like I did on a disappointing season and everything in between. Bob Knight made Indiana basketball special and he made it special because he 
thought about the player. Now, people don't believe that, but people aren't very smart about Bob Knight. Everybody says he's so complicated. He wasn't complicated. I was with him longer than anybody. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to coach basketball, make kids better, and win. And while he did it, he made you respect the game, respect the fans of Indiana University, and respect yourself and your family and demand it. And I mean demand it that you do all of that at a really high level. That's not complicated. What's complicated is the modern Hall of Fame coach that has to cheat. What's complicated is the modern Hall of Fame coach that has to use shoe companies or used to or has to use uh, financial advisors. My man was doing none of that. I once got fired, at least for a day or two, because I made the mistake of actually calling a recruit twice in one week. When another coach had called him once, I called him twice. Hey, I got called off the rope. A small offense like that got me reamed out. And I got to tell you, I absolutely loved it. And so did all of us. And as I've said, if the way Coach Knight went about it offended you, it's probably why he did not ask you to come play for him. But parents and players, we loved it. And one of the best things about playing for Bob Knight was that when you walked around the campus at Indiana University, you were totally respected. There was no dumb job. There was no, yeah, but, you know what, those guys don't go to class. Yeah, they play. What? No, 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 no. Everybody on that campus knew that Indiana basketball players under Bob Knight went to class, conducted themselves well. We weren't angels. Hell, we were there to have fun, but we were not there to cause trouble, and we were certainly not there to get brought in front of Coach Knight for doing something stupid, and I always appreciated it. There were times, particularly when I was a freshman, when I would shake my head, like, is that my dad? He sounded exactly like my dad, with a few more swear words in how he presented himself, but make no mistake about it. That man was always for his program. He was always for his players, and we all appreciate it, and we all loved it. Sure, some players left. That's on them. Sure, some players got surly later on in life, including myself. Hey, that's the way life goes sometimes when you've got a bunch of alpha males. But Bob Knight's the best basketball coach that I have ever seen, and I have studied this since the fall of 1981. And I would let my son, my grandson, my grandson, great-grandson, everybody play for Bob Knight. Rest in peace, Coach. You did a great, great job with all of us, and we all thank you. Great perspective there from Outkick's Dan Dockich. Uh, and you can catch him on mornings, Don't At Me, with uh, Dan Dockich. Yeah, really, really go good Go back from and Dan. hear the, the full uh, comments. That was from last night, and he had a, uh, great thoughts this morning as well. Yeah, that was terrific. And, and I love the part about, you know, there were no such thing as dumb jocks with Indiana basketball. Yeah. That you walked around that campus and you were respected, and people knew that you were more than just a basketball player. That you were respectful, you were smart, you were in class. Uh, you were making good grades. That, that was really cool to hear that from Dan and just what it was like to be an Indiana Hoosier under Bob Knight. And I know Dan has bemoaned the fact that what it means to be an Indiana Hoosier basketball player has changed so much since Bob Knight was the head coach there. And that's a big problem he's had with the program. Uh, he detailed some of that on today's show as well. But the appreciation for a guy that Dan on this show and his has talked about the issues he's had with Bob Knight in the past and, and how they haven't always been on good terms. 
the appreciation shown by him, by Coach K, by others that may have, you know, they didn't just cross paths with him. They played for him. They worked with him. They loved the guy. But also there were times where they were on the outs with each other. Really cool to hear that level of perspective from someone that lived it with Coach Knight for so long as a player and a coach. And Dan Dockich is certainly that. Chad, it is uh, or an hour and nine minutes into the show. And we're mentioning the world champion Texas Rangers. World Series champions last night. Uh, they, they get it done. Did you watch the uh, celebration like you uh, promised? I watched it on uh, X. I watched the, okay. uh, the video that was posted to X. I was, uh, what was I watching last night? I was watching Welcome to Wrexham. I was watching something sports related. I was catching up on that beautiful docuseries so, about the Welsh soccer club. So not the World Series. Uh, uh, among my friends, you're all in with Major League Baseball, specifically the Braves. Yep. Um, you know I'm back to being more than just a casual fan based on what I saw from the league this year, this season. But I didn't get into the postseason. Um, what does that say about MLB? That as far as the, the, the fan level is concerned, you're higher than I am, but we both felt the same way about the World Series, regardless of who's playing. Yeah, it's, it's an that, afterthought. It's that, the, that's, it shouldn't League, be that way. Major League Baseball has a national problem. They are great in market. It's great in the middle of summer when there's not much else going on. And your team is good. It's a great nightly, daily type ritual thing to check your phone or check a box score and see how your team did and who did what. They've got that part of it down, Pat. But once you get to where now you need to go from the micro to the macro, you need to go small to large and bring in a broader audience, it it fails more times than not. I know some of those Phillies-Braves games did good numbers. Um, Outside of that, Mainly a failure for ratings this postseason for Major League Baseball. And we knew it was going to be bad when it was the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. But the biggest challenge for Major League Baseball moving forward is how do you get people in America that like sports to tune away from football for two to three hours and watch a World Series game when it's not their team? Because what football has mastered is the limited amount of time that it's played, it's the shortest season, it's the shortest time during the week that you watch and get really into it. And then once the playoffs get here, NFL is a great example. Playoffs arrive. It does not matter who's playing in that wild card playoff game. America gathers and watches, whether it be at a sports bar, at your house, you're turning it on. You're going to watch some of those playoff games because it matters to everyone. You could be a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and you're still going to care about the Detroit Lions playoff game from the NFC. Why? Because football matters to everyone. Baseball matters to most people in America, or a lot of them, during the summer. It ceases to matter when football arrives. That's the problem Major League Baseball has to get past. Hun, I don't know that there's any good one explanation to make that happen. I brought it up with Michael McHenry yesterday. Make sure you schedule around Saturday and Sunday. I think it's part of it, right? However you do the, the World Series, don't play on those days with football going on. But I, I really so, don't know what the answer is. Well, I think the problem is how we would answer this question. How would Major League Baseball have handled Taylor Swift dating one of his stars compared to the way the NFL embraced the Kelsey and Swift saga? That continues. Major League Baseball would have just let it be a local thing. 
honestly. And, 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 and that's my opinion of it, but I don't think they would embrace it the same way that we've seen the national stage take over Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. That's what MLB misses that they had in the 90s is the individual connection with uh, personality. Major League Baseball doesn't have any personality as a group, I'm saying. They have some individual players and stars that could be a lot bigger and, and better promoted, more promoted than what we've seen. Um, but as far as like the, 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 the big ad runs, like where's, who's the face of baseball? So Tani, but who's the, who's driving MLB in the face of baseball when baseball's not on the TV screen? They don't have that guy. And in the NFL, why we tune in, why there's six million, five years ago, there were six million people on average that watched the Pro Bowl. And this is averaging nine million, the World Series. The reason why they tune in is not because it's football. I mean, it is. That's a big reason. But it's also because you're in tune with the players, the stars, the star power. And I don't think, by and large, Major League Baseball does enough to push their individual stars and embrace the fact that you're allowed to have a different personality, team to team, person to person, manager to manager. By and large, it's just America's pastime, come out to the ball game. And it's got to be more than that to get people to tune in. The average fan. Yeah. The casual fan. And I think also football built into its core, especially now, is that they've got so many more stars because the quarterback is always the star. The starting quarterback is going to be a star of a game, right? Sure. Baseball doesn't really have that. But I would even set that aside and say even when it's not the biggest star quarterback, when they get to the postseason, I'm just looking postseason to postseason. Right. We still watch. We're still going to watch that playoff football game. Most everyone's going to do that where you're not going to watch Rangers, Diamondbacks, stars in there or not. I don't know if that helps. It helps. Oh, it, it definitely helps. There's a draw. But franchise matters more in baseball. It doesn't matter as much in football. In the playoffs, we're still going to watch no matter who's playing. Um, being a Dallas Cowboy helps. We know that with ratings numbers. I, I just... But but also it's, like it, 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 to to make it really simple, Hutton. How do you, if I'm in Major League Baseball's headquarters and we're sitting around a big boardroom table talking about it, my my question is, how do we get from where we are now, where people in local markets care, to, oh, the playoff game is on, we got to be watching, the World Series is happening, let's turn it over there. We've lost that in America. How do we get back to that? Because if you're comparing yourself to the top dog, that's the NFL. And that's what they have. On Saturday evening in January, when the wild card playoffs start, it's the worst game on that late afternoon game of the weekend. But guess what? People in their homes are saying, hey, let's get that football game on. Playoffs have started. Let's get it on over there. You've got to get people back to doing that. And I, I, think, there's a, I think your answer is one of them. They need to embrace star power. They need to cultivate stars. But I think there's a lot of possible solutions to that. And uh, I, I don't know that it's an easy fix for baseball to get back to it. Well, it could be, I mean, at least for me, Chad, in the postseason runs of the mid to late 90s, it was a lot about, you know, the, the home run race. But also just, it was a national, there was a national game on twice a week, minimum. 
and you would meet different players and stars based on that. You know, growing up in Middle Tennessee, I loved the Seattle Mariners. Nine o'clock start on the Wednesday night doubleheader game, you know? Yeah. And you, you learn that entire lineup just like I learned the entire lineup for the Braves during that same year. I, I agree. And they, they don't have that. They don't capture that essence anymore. They don't want cameras in the clubhouse. Trevor Bauer was hated by MLB because of that, because of his vlog. Like they, they have to embrace more of what is in tune with today, like the NFL has been doing, even though I'm reluctant to admit that they're doing it the right way. Sixth and Peabody at our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton with Row rolls on across the Outkick Network. About to be joined by Armando Salguero. We'll preview the top games coming up this weekend in the NFL. Kicks off tonight, week nine, Pittsburgh hosting Tennessee. Chad, um, I don't know if mixed messages is the right way to describe Kirk Ferentz with the media versus what he said on his show, but he made it pretty clear he intends on coaching longer than the remainder of this season at Iowa. But didn't do that yesterday, or the day prior, I should say, on Tuesday. Yeah, he allowed his first comments, two questions. Uh, he deflected two questions about whether he'd be back next year by saying, quote, he was focused on Saturday's game and the last four games. So and that was with the media. That was with the media the day before. So then on his coach's show, on his radio show, he goes on and says, I was not trying to intentionally cause celebration for some people who would love to see me go start a stamp collection <laughs> or go bird watching or whatever. The intent was to try to steer this thing back to what is important right now. I enjoy coaching. Fortunately, I feel good. The doctors tell me I'm okay. I hope they're right. I hope to keep doing this for quite a while. I've always loved being here. I've been here 34 years now. I like what I do. And most of all, I like the young people we've had a chance to work with. It was that way in 1981. So I guess much ado about nothing based on his latest comment that he is absolutely planning on sticking around for a while longer but this is, I guess, where deflection goes wrong. Yeah. Where you're just in a press conference in a different state of being and mind, and you decide to answer a question a certain way and then have to come back and clarify because you weren't definitive with the media the first go-around. Armando Salguero joins us from snowy Buffalo. Uh, the backdrop is uh, tremendous, Armando. Good to see you. Uh, we should also mention Armando at outkick.com, but also... Uh, the five spot with Donovan McNabb, uh, always perfect and on point. Uh, you can catch that Tuesdays and Fridays across the uh, Outkick Network, outkick.com to find that as well. Armando, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Things are great. It's winter. It's it's awesome. We're it in is. November. Hello. And we can, we can start looking towards the path of the postseason. I'm, I see Buffalo in the background, so I want to bring this up. So there's two big games uh, for AFC number one contention this weekend, Kansas City and Miami in Germany, Buffalo at Cincinnati. And I think we could look back on both of these results whenever January rolls around. You're absolutely right. So the Dolphins and the Chiefs in uh, Frankfurter, it's going to be a, um, <laughs> I like to say that. I'm sorry, Frankfurt. Um, it's going to be an interesting day because on the one hand, with the Dolphins, you want to know, can they actually beat a good team? They they knocked the Dickens out of 
middling to poor teams, but they haven't beaten a good team yet. And good team being defined as a team with a winning record, which obviously the Kansas City Chiefs have. And on the other side, it's, you know, it's kind of time. It's getting late. It's kind of time for their wide receivers who lead the NFL in drops to play better and help their quarterback, who has not had uh, a great couple of weeks. And so uh, very good teams, but they have answers to provide or not, in which case we'll continue to like ask the questions. Uh, before we get to Sunday morning, we got to get through tonight first. Uh, Titans and Steelers tonight. What did you think about Will Levis with four touchdown passes in his debut going up against a better defense tonight in Pittsburgh? Right. So who answers the question, what did you think about Will Levis and the four touchdown passes with? I didn't like that. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm answering the question for you <laughs> deep down. He's like, well, I guess my time here is yeah, done. Yeah, that has to be very somewhere because on the surface, he was happy for his teammate. Sure. Um, but look, Will Levis uh, obviously uh, has distanced himself from Malik Willis. We're done with that. And uh, sorry, Malik. Um, on the other hand, he is the guy that now I was talking to someone today and I was and I was listening to them talk about how typically the narrative and what we see is even when there is this great debut, even when there is this eye popping, you know, game, which Will Levis obviously had. You're going to see in a week or two or three the regression to mean where, you know, it's not going to be four touchdown passes in a game anymore. And it's not going to be three or two or one. It's going to be, oh, he's a rookie and he just played like it. And he only got us in the end zone maybe one time and it was because Derrick Henry was really good on the drive and we're still searching for an offense. So there will be that roller coaster with the rookie quarterback. Uh, at least that's what, you know, we've seen in the past with just about every other rookie quarterback. And that's about the time that Ryan Tannehill will be healthy. And then the question will be, do the Tennessee Titans want to, you know, hand it back to, to Ryan? Or will they just roll with the future and just live with Levis? What does the future look like for the Las Vegas Raiders? Cleaning house uh, with general manager and head coach, Jimmy Garoppolo to the bench in favor of Aiden O'Connell. Uh, Antonio Pierce, former Giant, faces the Giants as the interim head coach of the Raiders this weekend. Uh, what direction do they go next? My guess is that you're going to see uh, a significant bump. You're going to see players reacting to a former player and a new voice in front of them with some um, electricity. You're going to see more personality. You're going to see kind of like the, look, we've been in these forever meetings with Josh McDaniel and 
Antonio Pierce says the give us gives us the same amount of information in about one third the time, and then he lets us go and he expects us to perform for him instead of McDaniel expecting the scheme to perform for him. So that's what I'm predicting. I'm predicting the Raiders will show a little bit more life, at least in the short term, under Antonio Pierce than what they have been with Josh McDaniel. But, and here's the big one, eventually that wears off. Eventually what you see is, you know, it kind of plateaus and you are what your record says you are. And the team kind of can't live on emotion and motivation and forever. You saw that the last few years with the Detroit Lions and uh, Dan Campbell. Eventually, as Dan Campbell said, you need the horses. And the, the Las Vegas Raiders, they don't have the horses at offensive line. And they don't have the horses at quarterback that we can see. Uh, Aiden O'Connell is a nice rookie, but Aiden O'Connell is a nice rookie. Armando Salguero with us. Outkick.com is where you can find his great work writing and covering the NFL. Um, The 49ers are among the teams on a bye week this week. Shanahan's already said he's not considering a quarterback change uh, with Purdy uh, headed to the bench. What do you make of what they've done at the trade deadline and if you were going to do anything there, it would happen this week. They're not going to do it. What does that signal to you? It signals that they're going to ride or die with Brock Purdy and hope that Cinderella's carriage doesn't turn into a pumpkin and hope that the defense comes alive and hope that when they get Trent Williams back, the very outstanding left tackle, and when they get Debo Samuel back, the very outstanding outside receiver, that all of a sudden, you know, clarity comes. Um, speaking of the 49ers, you know that they went out and got Chase Young this week. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a smart-looking move. It really is because they're giving up a compensatory third-round pick, of which they expect to have three. So it's, it's like <laughs> they're ha- they have one based on the fact that they lost Rand Carthon to the Tennessee Titans. And they also have another based on the fact that D'Amico Ryans went to the Houston Texans. So the NFL has instituted a policy whereby if, quote-unquote, diverse candidates leave one team and go to another in a promotion, the team that they left gets compensatory picks. And if they leave to go be a head coach or a general manager, it can be a third round compensatory pick. So basically, the 49ers, uh, John Lynch, pretty smart. Uh, he's renting Chase Young for a pick that he he has three of because of people that left the building to become head coaches or general managers. Uh, recency bias here. The Lions could not go on the road and win in Baltimore. They have won on the road, though, Lambeau. And then, of course, week one, they won at Arrowhead, which is tough to do. I'm not trying to knock Detroit. But Seattle now makes this trip to Baltimore this week. 
and it's Seattle, not San Francisco, atop the NFC West currently. Does this week tell you one way or the other that Seattle is can absolutely win this division and that San Fran takes a number two seat? Well, uh, I mean, I think we knew that Seattle could win the division before this week, right? I mean, they're they're pretty solid. They're they're pretty good, uh, regardless of San Francisco's struggles. But I, I want to see. Look, the Baltimore Ravens have uh, an opportunity here. the The Chiefs are playing okay. The Dolphins can't beat anybody really good. The Bills are staggering uh, up and down, five and three. The Ravens have a chance to say, hey, um, what about us? Because we are probably the most consistent team in the AFC right now. We've got a really solid roster. Uh, It's hard to find, uh, you know, flaws and, and holes in our roster. We're healthy, which is the reason we haven't been good the last couple of years. And so, indeed, why not us? And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, why not them? We'll see if they can beat the Seattle Seahawks because that would tell them or tell us whether it's them or not. Are the Minnesota Vikings playoff hopes over with Kirk Cousins going down, or is Josh Dobbs or the rookie from BYU coming in to save the day? Uh, no, the rookie from BYU is not coming to save the day. Josh Dobbs and and Josh Dobbs is not coming to save <laughs> okay. the day. And the hopes are over. Next question. <laughs> I mean, it's like right. Uh, uh, they weren't. They were okay. They had won like two or three in a row with Kirk Cousins. And without Justin Jefferson, and they thought things are good. We're we've got it all straightened out. Um, no, uh, they are they are operating in the Atlantic in the North Atlantic rudderless. <laughs> well, uh, and that that's not a good thing to be when you don't have your quarterback. Well, let's compare. You just mentioned Baltimore can take a big step. It's time for New Orleans to do that too uh, in this division because uh, rudderless and uh, you've got the. The matchup here ties into the South because Minnesota's taking on Atlanta. Atlanta's going with Heineke. Uh, Carr has been okay and, and played. We, we saw the offense play well uh, in recent weeks. It's time for that quarterback signing to pay off for New Orleans. It's time for uh, – we're getting close to that time where people talk about coaches. We had one fired this week. Yes. <laughs> and, and so – when you have the first one that goes, all the other ones look around and go, um, okay, is, is it that time of year now? <laughs> Are, Has anyone seen the owner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not saying Dennis Allen is next, right? Right. I'm, I'm right. not saying that. But Dennis Allen has been there a bit. It's a good He's point. been there a minute. And you can't just be at 500 or just below and please the – people of the bayou they they they'll boil you uh it with corn and you know shrimp and stuff and crawfish you're you're not going to be a happy person um it is time for the saints to be the class of that division which doesn't say a whole lot because that division is pretty weak don't lose to chicago if you're dennis allen 
don't lose to the Bears. Uh, Jambalaya, you could use some with the backdrop there in the winter, Armando. Uh, keep up the great work with the five spot with you and Donovan, and uh, we'll chat soon. Enjoy the weekend. All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Armando Salguero, our senior NFL writer at OutKick.com. Coming up, the Jets tried to make a big move at the deadline with two wide receivers. Chad, how is the chat today on YouTube? It's really good. People have opinions. It's great. We got one guy in here, uh, Jake, who I, I think he's a Michigan homer, but oh. I can't really tell. He's very defensive about Michigan. He's bringing up that Tennessee had 200 violations and they just lost scholarships, major violations, and I'm trying but, to explain to him. But they did lose scholarships and they had violations, right? They had violations. They paid the biggest fine in the history of the NCAA. Right, yeah, but I'm saying like there was a penalty. He's talking about like, you know, not uh, – they didn't have to forfeit anything, and I'm trying to explain the difference between – illegally contacting recruits or giving them money as inducements, you know, on a, right. on a recruiting trip versus affecting the operation of a game <laughs> on game. Well, um, there, there are different things my, that is a competitive disadvantage for the other team and advantage for yours during the game. Chad, my, my thing has been this, look, I, I don't know what the penalty currently would be. I just don't know what it's going to be based on more and more information and evidence that comes forward that, that pops or, you know, bubbles to the surface because every day there's something new. There's some new camera angle or, you know, Connor stallions is on the sideline helping central Michigan, which uh, do we have an update? Have they finished this investigation on who uh, Connor, if this was Connor stallions and who this, you know, mysterious, uh, alleged sign stealer. I think was. the investigation is still underway. Does by Jim McElwain have the any idea? It's from Michigan. Yeah. Will we will we learn of the will we learn of the identity of this man sooner than we learned the identity of whether or not it was Jim McElwain on that shark? Remember that? Oh yeah. Is this is this sharp shark humper? Is this the head coach? Turns out it wasn't. Well, <laughs> but you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, it, it, yeah, are how they gonna, difficult can it be? I, I just, is it okay and enough just to say, hey, we're going to investigate this and then never speak I mean, again I, on it? I'm asking this like tongue in cheek. I, or do you have to him. actually, yeah, but do you, do, shouldn't they say that? Like, yeah, should, of course. Like, but shouldn't Michael they, Wayne won't even say it. Well, of course not, but he's the coach after a game. I'm saying the AD said, we're going to investigate this matter. By now, you should have investigated and been done with the investigation and at least explained what happened. Hey, this coach got the person this pass, or they I mean, doesn't applied it take under this alias, you, or whatever it may be. You go to the football office, you talk to the offensive line coach, and you say, hey, who are you talking to? Well, they're going to have to suspend whoever let them in. Well, you see what I'm saying? Whichever like, I, coach who, got who, a pass. Who is this person in the photo you were speaking with? It, that ends the investigation. Uh, Jake on the YouTube chat says, find Harbaugh 500,000. Find the school a million and be done with it. It is not. He said, I'm not defensive and I'm not a homer. That does not hurt Michigan at all. What hurts Michigan ultimately is losing Jim Harbaugh as coach. If you want to point to Tennessee, Tennessee fired their coach immediately and the entire staff when all this stuff came to light. Now, granted, their coach wasn't winning the way Harbaugh is. It didn't seem like a huge loss from a coaching standpoint for Tennessee, but that's how they handled it. Major violation, that, that's how they're usually handled. Someone has to be the fall guy and someone loses their job. Typically, 
in a lot of cases, the head coach, like at Tennessee. That, that's a penalty. If you want to talk about that, okay, Harbaugh and the entire staff lose their jobs immediately this season. Uh, they go with interim coaches, and you get fined $1.5 million. Okay, I'm good with that punishment. Let's do that. Because that's what Tennessee did. They just they fired them for well, the NCAA before it came to, came to pass. I, I, but also, like, 500000 sparked. That is what Belichick was fined during Spygate. Well, and look, but they, they Michigan also would forf- kill for that punishment they right now. For- well, they forfeited a first-round pick, they, which would be the equivalent. Uh, but again, like they, they forfeited the first-round pick. You had uh, the organization that was fined as well. But beyond that, Chad, you, <laughs> this, was, this was the Patriots television production crew that was filming the Cincinnati Bengals from the press box. Yeah. And in this case... We have Connor Stallions on the sideline with a blinking sun, uh, the Ray Bans, and he's help. He's clearly helping on September first because Michigan plays September second. He's helping former Michigan staffers. Like I, I well, and how do you how do you rule if you are the NCAA compared to the Big Ten? That's the real big question here. Does the Big I, Ten I just, do anything ahead of the long process that this will be because of the NCAA always takes their time, and then there's always the appeals process. If they wait on the NCAA, none of this is going to matter it for won't. Michigan because Harbaugh will be gone. The next coach is going to get hit with a scholarship loss and everything else and fine. It's going to be stupid because the next coach can have nothing to do with it. the next group of players and staff, nothing to do with what's going on now. If you want to make a statement, Tony Petiti needs to man up, listen to his coaches, and make them forfeit games this year or forfeit games in the future of this year. Or they're not eligible for the Big Ten title. That's the only way something really happens to Michigan. I don't think it's going to happen. Michigan fans, rest easy at night. You're going to be playing for a national championship when you play Ohio State later this season. I think that's how this is going to go. I do not see the Big Ten actually showing that much courage to step out there and say, yeah, we've got enough evidence on this. We know what's going on, and they're not eligible for a Big Ten title. I don't see that happening. Let me also say this between Spygate and what's going on here at Michigan. They've got communication devices and helmets when Spygate was going on. This is far more critical and damning. Every call is made by hand signal. They're watching operation. They're watching different things. NFL, I I understand that, but way more of an advantage. If you truly master what teams are doing signal-wise and getting them illegally, we saw it in a video where Connor Stallions is saying, run right to the defensive coordinator. And guess what Michigan's defense does after they're signaling something in? Two safeties flood to the right side and stop Ohio State for no game. That's a huge advantage. I've seen high school coaches polled about it. Big Ten coaches are talking about unprecedented and how awful this is for the sport. I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to look at the results of Michigan, and I'm smart enough to know they got a huge advantage in all of this. And that's part of the reason they've been winning the way they have. They got a good team, but they're blowing teams out, and they've gone 33 and 3 in the last three years, in part because they have the other team's signs illegally. I think we can all come to an agreement and state that. And Hutton, that's exactly what, what Big Ten coaches are telling the commissioner. What are you waiting on? We know what's gone on here. Yeah, we all know. Are it. you going to actually step up and, and penalize Michigan for what's going on? And I'll be shocked if he does. I truly will be shocked. Well, if at any point this season we hear the Big Ten 
say that they're not eligible for something. I'm not. I'm not going to be stunned because I. I just. There's more information behind the scenes that we will continue to randomly hear and see reported. So eventually, that mounts to a a a point, a high watermark, Chad, where you have to act. Because right now, you can just lean back on, oh, the NCAA is investigating right now. They're on campus. They were doing this and that. Um, the investigation is going on through the media, really. And it's through either leaked information or just local reporters going back on what they have on tape, what they have on file, scrub, uh, scrubbing their computer and trying to figure out, you know, let, let's see if we can find someone that resembles Connor Stallions and who he's standing next to. And then zoom in and, oh, there he is on game day against Ohio State. And they've got that angle from what was like the 10-yard line of the local uh, cameraman that's zoomed in on the quarterback. They're just shooting some B-roll. And in the background, you can see the Michigan defensive coordinator standing next to Stallions. And Stallions is peering over at the Ohio State sideline while you have uh, Stroud who looks over for the sign. In the trying to figure out what defensive alignment they want to run. It's obvious. But that in, in and of itself, Chad, isn't illegal on game day. So you have to be able to prove that they obtained that information off-site through off-site scouting. And now we're having more information come to the surface on that. So what's next with this? You know what? I, the, the, one, the one thing that would just end it would be some connection to the over-under or the, the spread in these games. Well, I mean, if, look, if, I, if people I, really dug into the games itself, and you brought up like that, yeah, they're that all, already is doing it, it that. It all affects it. Every, but, every but spread saying, they've covered in the last three years, you could argue has been negatively affected by this. But I'm saying like if they're willing to, the, uh, the alleged, uh, the assumption is they're, they're willing to give information to other opponents that are, fa- that are playing uh, possible college football playoff contenders or someone in their way that if they w- were to lose to Ohio State, someone they would need to jump or make an argument against, if they're giving away information like that, they're not just talking to one or two people. Yeah. So how does that filter into what would well, be a me, massive story? Let me come back. Again, I, that, I'm, just, I'm just spitballing no, because I, I, I get that's, it. that's really the mega point where – let it me would, combat would, some of the it. stuff going on in our YouTube chat right now. Uh, that that is just we got to get past some of this stuff. Plausible deniability, Roy says. Plausible deniability no longer works for a head coach. The NCAA has changed their enforcement. That is a failure to monitor. You can claim ignorance all you want. It does not matter. It is your program. Jim Harbaugh is the Michigan program. Anything going on, especially to this level, he is responsible for. So even if they were smart enough to not text Jim Harbaugh about it, Jim Harbaugh hires Connor Stallions as the head coach. He brought him on. He is the top of the pyramid for Michigan football. So if there's an orchestrated effort, which there's firm proof of that, Mm -hmm. we've all seen it, of them to scout off-site with multiple people, not just Connor Stallions. There's another whistleblower that's a former Division Three coach that has said he was paid by Connor Stallions to illegally scout off-site. That is all Jim Harbaugh's responsibility. So stop with this plausible deniability BS. That is not a, a factor here at all. They're going to get hammered one way or the other, and it doesn't matter if Jim Harbaugh claims he didn't know or not. 
Uh, the other thing is, you know, you can't do anything with, without the proof. I just don't understand what more proof is needed. Now, here's an interesting part. I think it's um, uh, Jake is asking, the internet is doing the investigation. Who hired the third-party law firm? Has that been discovered? No, it hasn't. I'm interested in who is this third-party yes, law firm yes. and who's funding this project, right? Who's funding this investigation? That does interest me. Does it ultimately matter, though, if Michigan is still caught red-handed based on what this law firm has uncovered? It really doesn't. Now, does it matter for retaliation for Michigan in the future? Hell yeah, it does. If you find out Ohio State or Penn State or some other rival is paying a ton of money to a, an investigative unit of a law firm to go after you, well, that may come back around at some point. But for this story... Whatever they find and whatever's being reported and whatever we're seeing with our own two eyes, that's what matters. The rest of this stuff can be interesting, and it's a subplot to it. It does not matter to the critical factors of this case. just doesn't right well, now. And I, it, the, the next layer that I'm interested in is if it happened, how often did it happen where two teams were playing, Michigan wasn't one of them, but the other team obtained the signs based on information Michigan had? Uh, and I'll ask it this way. We know through the reports that TCU coaches admitted that once they made the college football playoff and they were matched up against Michigan, they had multiple people tell them, change your signs immediately. They are the best in the world at this. They've got you. Even though you think they don't, they've got you. And they changed their signs, their signals. They had 37 days to do it, but they did it. And I, my question would be, Chad, did that warning come from a Big Ten opponent? Or did that warning come from a team that found a bump in the road along the way facing someone that had their signs and they somehow figured it out through the grapevine? Well, a, lot of, a lot of teams apparently knew about this well before this became a story this season. Yeah, that's where the story goes to the next level is if there's proof that, and we don't know this right now, We've seen him at certain games. But if there's proof that there's meddling going on, and we can assume right. that if he's there with Central Michigan gear, he is helping out the Central Michigan coaches with Michigan State signs. No doubt. Um, meddling across college football with teams ahead of you in the playoff ranking or rivals just because you want to see them lose on a Saturday when you're not playing them, that's next level, man. That's Defend it all you want, Michigan fans, but there's really no defense of and that. And if you get caught red-handed doing that, I don't know a punishment too severe for you, quite frankly, including a two- or three-year death penalty. If you've, in fact, impacted college football playoff runs for other teams in college football. He's already wearing the sunglasses. I want to know what's next. Yeah. What's next? It's, on a, the that's, it's a lot to prove, though. Headlines of the day straight ahead.